You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We're in two passages today uh, as we talk about Finally Home, this series on, on heaven. We're going to be in the two R books of the New Testament. So let's begin the book of Romans first. Romans chapter 8, if you would get there. And let us see what is going to happen to this earth that we are on at present and what this earth upon which we live presently is longing for. Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 18. And then I bet you figured out the other R book is Revelation. So we'll be in those two books today. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Paul is writing to the church of Rome, just as the Lord would be speaking to us today. And we see this great picture of what's happening um, on the planet now in the present and what has happened and what will happen. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, including planet Earth, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we also, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let me show you four things in this passage about this old earth receiving a new heaven. This old earth upon which we now live will one day receive the new heaven. And this will become the new heaven and the new earth. First of all, remember the earth in its original form was very good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 tells us this. That the earth was was whole. It was complete. It it was perfect. it It was sinless. So the earth, when it was originally made, was made without sin. There was, there was nothing tainting earth at all. There was no longing for the earth to, to look for its new day because it was in its new day. So the redemptive work of Christ on the cross will bring earth and all of creation back to its original, glorious, perfect, whole, complete state. Secondly, creation longs for freedom. The earth upon which we now live is longing for freedom, longing for new life. Earth longs for its rescue. It is presently in the throes of labor, the throes of childbirth. We see that in verse 22. I've I've never been in the throes of childbirth before. I've never had labor before. Mamas, you have. You, You know the pain. You also know what's on the other side of that pain, new life. This is why Paul uses that same imagery here with with earth. It is going through the throes of of childbirth, going through the, the pain of labor as it desires to see new life, a new earth itself. But even in its decay, the earth upon which we now live is the greatest evangelist of all time. It's the largest and most effective evangelist in all of history. You're in Romans chapter eight. Go back about three or four pages to Romans chapter one. 
and see what the earth is saying even to us today. The earth is an evangelist, the largest and most effective evangelist of all time. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 18. <coughs> Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to mankind, to humanity, because why? God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since, here it is, the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So creation itself is declaring the power of God. The world itself, this earth itself is declaring the divine attributes of God. This earth, this creation is longing for freedom, longing for new life. Thirdly, humanity and earth fell together. They will be redeemed together as well. Man fell in Genesis chapter 3. Creation fell in Genesis chapter 3. When God came to Adam after he sinned, uh, he came to Adam and said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat, Adam and Eve, of the ground all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. So not only was humanity forever cursed until the cross because of the fall, creation also fell with humanity, but they will enjoy redemption together. Look at verse 21 of chapter 8. So that the creation itself, it will be set free from its bondage to corruption. It will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, so creation is longing for this, that day will come, but also we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord inside of us. We also, we groan inwardly as we await that final adoption paper to be signed for us. So this rich passage in Romans chapter 8, it it points to the past, verse 20, where God subjected earth itself to the penalty of Adam and Eve's sins, but also points to the future, verse 21, when it will be free from its bondage, it will be glorious again. Fourthly, the new Jerusalem comes to earth where it remains forever. In the Gospels, every time the mention of heaven is recorded, People were looking up. Uh, even when Christ ascended into heaven, ascended to the right hand of God, people looked up. It was, a, it was an upward movement. You would look up toward heavens. You would lift your hands up toward heaven. You would fix your eyes up toward heaven. Uh, even Paul would say that we should consider that we are seated in upward heavenly places. But in the book of Revelation, you're not looking up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to to earth. The the new heaven, the Jerusalem in particular, the capital city of heaven, is making its way down to earth. Well, it will remain forever. God's kingdom will forever be established on earth. So the first two chapters of, of the Bible are the creation of heaven and earth. The last two chapters of the Bible are the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll look at that more in the in the coming weeks ahead. But Christ will sit on the earthly throne of David. There'll be animals here. 
no cats, peace and, and knowledge, and the earth will be transformed. Did I say that out loud or just thought that out loud? The, the, the earth will be completely transformed. In fact, we see that the prophet Isaiah speaks of this, the, the, this prophecy of the earth completely being transformed when the new Jerusalem comes down to sit upon it. You don't have to turn there, but it's on the screen behind me. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18 through 21. Listen to this, especially in light of what's happening in our world today. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. No more devastation. No more destruction within your borders. You shall call the walls around you salvation. You shall call the gates around you praise. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord, Yahweh, he will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord, Yahweh, he will be your everlasting light. And your days of mourning, of sadness, of grief shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. No more abusers. No more racist. No more murderers. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work, God says, of my hands, that I might be glorified. Christian, this is the place to which we are going. So what does heaven on earth look like? What does heaven on earth, what is it going to be like? So let's just kind of go through some things together. If you're note takers, you're going to love this. I've got eight things from the book of Revelation on how heaven on earth will look, what heaven on earth will, will, will be like. The first thing we need to go to is the book of Revelation. Let's go toward the very end, Revelation chapter 21. We'll just be in two chapters of the book of Revelation. Let's begin in verse, chapter 21 and look at verse 4 with me. What heaven on earth will look like and be like. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. If you've been to a funeral recently, I bet you heard this passage. He, meaning God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Just consider extracting out from the world that we live in today, extracting out every tear, extracting out death, extracting out mourning and crying, extracting out pain. What is left? Joy. Heaven will be a place of extreme joy. Just think about the best experience, best place, best time you've ever had in your life. Multiply it by a billion and you're not even close. It'll be a place of extreme joy. When the psalmist was writing in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, he said, God, in your presence, there's a fullness of joy. You don't have to turn there, but on the screen behind me, you'll see Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. One of my favorite passages about heaven and the joy of heaven. The author of Hebrews tells us, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels doing what? In joyful assembly. Some translations say thousands multiplied by thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's a constant angel party. It's a heavenly rave. More orderly than a frat party, but more fun than most churches. It'll be a place of extreme joy. That's why C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. 
Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 25 with me, jump down toward the end. Just a small little verse gives us a lot of understanding of, of the new heavens, the new earth. Revelation 21, verse 25, and its gates, speaking of the heavenly city, the capital city, New Jerusalem, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Second thing about heaven, open gates and no night. What does that equal? Security. The, the gates are open because there's no enemy attacks. But you've seen the movies before. When the enemy comes, you close the gate. You shut down the gate. You lower the gate. But here, the gates are always open because there is no enemy ever approaching again. Not in heaven. It's even funny how, how John writes these words. Did you see that? He says, when it's daytime, the gates will be open. And by the way, it's always daytime. There's no darkness there. There are no shadow lands in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, jump back a little bit to, to verse 10 with me. Verse 10 and, and verse 11. Verse 10 of chapter 21, and he, the he here, is speaking of, of an angel. So John has a personal travel guide with him, a docent, that's kind of walking him around heaven to under, help him understand what's happening. And he, the angel, carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Here it is, coming down out of heaven from God. Every other place in the New Testament, you're looking up to heaven. In the book of Revelation, heaven is coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Here's the third thing for you note takers. New Jerusalem, the capital city of heaven, will shine and glow and brilliance. It was coming down. And what did it say? It had God's glory on it. The word glory there in, in Greek is the word doxa. So if you grew up in church, Pat, we sang it a few moments ago, the doxology is just a song of glory to God. And so the word doxa here means praise or glory or, or honor. So God's praise was all over the new Jerusalem. God's glory was all over it. God's praise and honor all over the capital city. So you see in heaven, you have a capital city, the new Jerusalem. But that's not the extent of, of heaven. Heaven, as far as we can tell biblically, has no limits to it whatsoever. Only the capital city is given to us in actual dimensions that we'll see right now. Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 16. The city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width. It's a cube. And he, the angel, measured the city with, with his rod. So he had some measurement instrument. 12,000 Stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He has also measured the walls of, of the city, 144 cubits by human measurement, which happens to be, John says, the exact same thing as an angel measurement. So those two things equal out. I think it's John's way of saying they're not measuring things strangely up there, but these, these two numbers actually relate to a, a city that is to come and the city in which John presently is in, or the world that John presently is in. Here's what I want you to see. The capital city will be enormous and beautiful. So the walls of this city, probably the fortified walls of the city, it says here 144 cubits thick. That's 216 feet. Um, I got here early this morning and marked off this room. From that far wall to that far wall is about 105 feet, more or less, maybe 110 feet, more or less. So the walls of the city of New Jerusalem are twice the width 
of this room that we're in right now. That's how thick these walls are. Mainly when you would go and look back at, at ancient castles, their fortified walls were about 12 to 18 inches thick. So the massive size of these walls here not only implies strength, it also begins to let us see the enormous scale of the rest of the city. And the city is laid out here, it says as a square. Jerusalem's length and height and, and width are all equal. And the city, let me just tell you again, is just enormous. Because 12,000 stadia is 1,500 miles. It's 1,550 miles from Waco to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So that, that's the distance just in, let's say, in, in length. You also have to multiply that by, by the height and the width of the New Jerusalem. So if you take the square footage of 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500 a cube, uh, actually it, it, it was a perfect square, if you were to take that, that would be the same square footage as the moon. This is where it begins to get a little bit interesting. So the new Jerusalem, the capital city, so not heaven itself, because heaven itself is without limit. Heaven itself does not have any kind of parameters to it or boundaries to it. But this new Jerusalem, the capital city of heaven, it is, we see here about the same square footage as, as the moon. Well, a lot of people, scientists will tell you, sociology majors will tell you that probably the full population of the world since inception to today, and so the modern history of mankind, been about 100 billion people who have walked upon this planet. Some people say 90 billion, some say 110 billion. We'll, we'll kind of round it off at 100 billion people. Now let's say of those 100 billion people who have walked the planet, how many of them are, are believers? How many of them have been established in Christ and will live forever with him. You know, Jesus himself said it's a very narrow way, it's a small road. He even uses the word few will find it into the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to throw out the percentage 20%. 20% of all humanity has put their faith, their trust in Christ. Christ has forgiven them. They will live forever within the kingdom of heaven. You might think it's 50%, you might think it's 10%. I've got the microphone today, so let's say 20%. 20% of the 100 billion people, so 20 billion people are going to inhabit a, a, a city. We're not even talking about heaven, just a city that has the same square footage as, as the moon. How much land does that give you? In acreage, every believer, assuming there's 20 billion people who put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ, will have about 75 acres per person within this new heavenly city. What are you going to do? In fact, 840, some man in the back started applauding at that. He was so excited about having his 75 acres. What are you going to do with 75 acres of, if you will, heavenly property. You'll have to come back next week for me to tell you what we're going to be doing with those 75 acres. There's my teaser to, to get you back, but I want you to see here that the capital city, just the capital city alone, is enormous. And it's beautiful. Why do I say it's beautiful? Because it radiates with the glory of God. Revelation 21, verse 18. Let's look at the fifth thing that's happening up in heaven. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? Revelation chapter 21, verse, verse 18. Let's just keep on reading here. The wall that we read about that was 216 feet wide, that wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Verse 19, the foundations of the wall were, were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was, was jasper, which is opaque. The, the second was sapphire, which is bright blue. The third is a, a gate, which is red or pink or, or yellow. The fourth is emerald, that bright green. The fifth is onyx, which is that deep black color. The sixth, carnelian, which is reddish orange. The seventh, chrysolite, which is green and gold. 
I don't write this. I just preach it. Green and gold, just like, I don't know, the Big 12 bather champions. I don't even know where I was. Uh, Carnelian, the seventh, the chrysolite. Did I tell you this already? Green and gold. The eighth is, is beryl, red and blue and green. The ninth, the topaz, which is blue or orange. It can even be red as well. The tenth, uh, chrysoprase, which is apple green. Jacinth, with, which is turquoise. And the twelfth is amethyst, which is purple. Here's what I want you to see about heaven. It is decorated with jewels and gold. It is more beautiful, more pricey, more treasured than we can ever imagine. And I hope you caught this in verse 21. If you grew up in church, singing about the pearly gates and the streets of gold, the gates are actually made of pearl. And the streets really are made of gold. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1. Jump down to that next chapter. Let's see the sixth thing about heaven. Then the angel showed me, excuse me, the river of life as bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. The sixth thing is very simple. The river of life flows down the middle. Very clearly here, this water of life, this river, the water of life, it is coming down from the throne of God, coming down from the Lamb of God, the throne of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, right through the middle of the new Jerusalem. The river of life flows down the middle. What is the river of life? It's a river of joy and peace and purity and beauty. The very things our heart longs for the most. Joy and purity and beauty and peace. And it's a constant flow coming straight from the throne of God, that river of life flows down to the very middle. In other words, to cross through New Jerusalem, you're going to have to walk over that river. Revelation 22, verse 2, pick it up there again. It's talking about the, the river of life through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Here's the seventh thing that heaven will be like that we will see there. We will see and eat from the tree of life. Ezekiel prophesied this 700 years before John even wrote this about a tree of life that would produce this this fruit. And did you see it here in in chapter 22, in in verse 2 and verse 3? It is a fruit of the month club. It's like every month there's like a new fruit that is born on this tree of life. We're going to eat from it. How do you know we're going to eat from it? Go back about 10 pages to the left. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 7. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2. At the end of that little portion when he speaks to the church of Ephesus in verse 7. He says, he who has an ear. In other words, if you're able to listen spiritually. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers. The one who has victory in Christ. I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. What does it mean to eat of the tree of life? Well, the tree of life is present in the new heaven. As a reminder to all of us as Christians, we will never have to experience death again. It's the most difficult portion of our lives, watching a parent die. 
spouse die, a friend die, Christian will probably be the most difficult moment in our own life when we die. Then when we enter into God's kingdom and into this new heaven and this new earth, there'll be this constant reminder of the tree of life that we will never have to experience death again. No cancer, no heart disease, no pandemic, no hurt, no pain. Eighth and last thing, and this is so weighty, I'm not really sure we can handle it. Revelation 22, look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Right now, Highland, everything is accursed. Creation is accursed. Our toil is accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, that is us, we will worship him. Don't miss this, verse 4. We will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads, and night will be no more. They, we will have no more need of a light, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God, he will be our light, and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. The eighth thing of heaven, we will forever see Jesus. Forever. We can long for him today. We can sing about him today. We can walk with him today. The spirit of Christ was within every believer today. But I'm talking about seeing him forever. This is the unending glory of heaven. This is the incomparable joy of heaven. This is the highest hope of heaven. This is the greatest news of heaven. This is the unending brilliance of heaven. We get to see the face of Jesus. And Jesus is why you want heaven. And Jesus is how you get heaven. Oh, today that you would turn to Jesus. That this would not just be a sermon about heaven that you might remember for a few weeks. That you would turn to Christ today and live in this experience we have just read about for eternity. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray. Father, your word goes beyond our imagination. In the most fantastical way we could think about heaven, you go beyond it. The enormous scale that maybe our minds might could conceive, we don't come close. Oh, the the jewels and the treasures of heaven transparent streets that glow with with the gold the gates made of a single pearl what size of pearl must that be the thought of you taking all of our tears away all of the pain all the suffering of this life all of our grief all of our mourning so there's nothing left but joy extreme joy and joining in with an angel rave party seeing grandparents 
spouse who died in Christ, none of that even comes close to the overwhelming joy of seeing Jesus' face. The one who laid down his life for us, the one who picked his life back up again for us. That's what we long for. Our hearts are not longing for a place. Our hearts are longing for a person. And on that day, when we see Jesus face to face, we will get to see him forever. That's the promise. And now this has become our song. In Christ we pray and we sing.